I love the season of Advent. Uh, the idea of looking forward to and not not what I grew up with. Interrupt whatever was being preached on for whatever. All of a sudden, right before Christmas, you drop all series and go to Christmas. Well, we have a time when we get to celebrate all the different things that God brings into our lives in the promise of a coming King. And it's a beautiful, wonderful time uh, in the Lord for us to hear Him and pay attention. And this is a reality of who we are. We are a storytelling species. It's just a reality. Not only do we tell our own stories in narrative form when we meet somebody and we say where we were born and all of that kind of stuff, we also create and tell and retell stories. Some of them are epic and some of them are mythic and some of them are full of excitement and wonder. Others are filled with bittersweetness and the touch of what it means to be a broken human being. Our urge to tell stories, it's been said, is distinctive. It's deep-rooted and it's universal. Every culture on earth has been a culture of storytelling. And there's a, a widespread belief among anthropologists if you've seen the pictures of all those cave paintings, uh, that those are actually designed to tell a story, not just illustrate a, a moment in time. Human beings have been telling stories for as long as we've been around. I don't know if you've ever stopped to think of it, but the stories of creation, and all that the Bible leads up to were being told over and over again until God raised up Moses and inspired him to move and, and record these things so we would know who God was. Now, there are stories about heroes that we love. There are stories about battles, tales of adventure, travel. And of course, some of the most Beloved stories are stories of love. Sometimes they're tragic stories like that of Romeo and Juliet or Lancelot and Guinevere. Sometimes they're stories of really unlikely love that should not have happened. Darcy and Elizabeth in Pride and Prejudice. Then there are true stories of love that we love to hear about. Uh, one particular love in our country's past is one of the most remarkable stories ever, and you ought to take a look at this. John and Abigail Adams and their great love for each other. But for sheer power and sheer wonder, very few stories even come close to the story of love that is found when a young Jewish virgin was approached by an angel, the angel Gabriel, who said, you are going to give birth to the Messiah of God. The story of her betrothed, Joseph, who now comes to a stark reality of what appears to be, as well as 
an explanation. Struggling, how is he going to deal with this shocking news? Their story is the story of our text today. We're going to be looking at Matthew 1, 18-25. And I ask you, if you will, to stand as we hear the word of the Lord together. A passage that is very familiar and unfortunately seems to only show up this time of year. This is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and give birth to a son, and they will call his name Emmanuel, which is God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. It's important that we understand that what we have here is, is a remarkable story. Now, we know it very well. Uh, we have heard it. I'm not sure how many sermons you've heard preached, how many times you've had a Sunday school class, how many times you've read it on your own. We know the story. But it's important that you see that Matthew wrote about a crucial event in the narrative story of Jesus. The narrative, birth narratives, are told only in Luke and Matthew, and and Matthew draws in on a very important part of this story. And as we look at this, we're going to discover an amazing love. An absolute amazing and wonderful love unfolds. But it's not just about what an amazing love back then. Folks, how does that amazing love impact us? How does it change our lives? How does it move us closer to what we are meant to be? Well, this will be seen. I'm going to ask a series of questions drawn from this passage that will help us to understand the importance of this love, not only in Christ's story, but in ours. Because we're talking about acts of love today in an amazing way. So, Let's take a look at the first question. How do we react when it seems our dreams are shattered? How do we react when the world seems to be falling apart, when everything we believed, everything we hoped, everything we wanted just crumbles right in front of our eyes? And folks, most of us in this room have experienced this in life. And before life is over, all of us in this room will experience those kind of moments. 
Well, when we take a look at Joseph and what he's experiencing, we see a man whose dream has right shattered in front of him. Joseph was an honorable man. And that idea about him being a righteous man means he was a man that followed the law. He, he trusted in God. He was an honorable man, and he became aware of the difficult truth about his betrothed, Mary. Now, I've talked about this before in the past, but Jewish betrothal is a lot different from American engagement. Uh, I would ask how many have been engaged more than once in your life, but I don't want to do that. I, I, don't, want, I don't want anybody to feel uncomfortable about that. But engagements come and go. Now, there was a time in our country, if you broke an engagement, you could be sued uh, because you have broken somebody's heart. Breach of promise, it was called. But in Joseph's day, a man and wo- woman become betrothed. And from that point on, for all intents and purposes, they are husband and wife. In fact, Joseph is referred to as, his, as her husband before he brings her into his home. Now, the only thing that was kept from them, they could not live together and they could not have relations together. But to break this betrothal, you had to get a divorce. And Joseph is hit with this news. His betrothed is pregnant. She's with child. And he doesn't know what has happened, but he knows he's not the father. And I'm sure he had a life planned out and he had it all mapped out what he wanted it to be. But now he has to deal with this. Because he is a man of the law, the law required, essentially, that he should divorce her. Now, at one point in Israel's history, adultery could be punishable by death. But in the first century, Israel did not have the power of capital punishment. So the most he could do was divorce her. And as a blameless man, as an honorable, righteous man, he would be expected to follow the law. But here is where we get our first glimpse of a love, a compassion that defies the way human beings normally act. You see, even though he was intending to go through with what the law demanded, that he divorce her, He wanted to save her from disgrace. He didn't want her to go into public shame. And he wanted to protect her as much as possible. So he was going to do this quietly. Probably in his mind he had it worked out where she could go and live with Elizabeth, her cousin, whom she's already visited. But he's going to do it in such a way that her name will not be dragged through the mud. Now, think about this very carefully. Why would he be concerned about not shaming his adulterous betrothed? In the world around us, there are a lot of things that happen in a marriage, but when unfaithfulness happens and is evident, the wounded party often tends to do everything they can to shame the cheater. They're going to post it on Facebook and every avenue of internet, uh, reaching out to people that they possibly can. There will be TikToks for them, all this kind of... There will be phone calls made. But Joseph doesn't want that. 
And I believe the only thing within this text that helps me understand Joseph wanting to protect Mary, the only thing that makes sense, he was going to follow this gentle divorce because I believe he truly loved Mary. I believe he wanted to protect her. In the midst of his pain, he doesn't want her shunned. He doesn't want her hurt. He is showing compassion to somebody he believes has failed him. Because when Mary tells him her story, Joseph may be a man of the first century, but folks, in the first century they know how babies were made. And so he would have been absolutely certain Mary had been unfaithful. But he still wants to protect her. Now how does this deal with us? There are times in life when we will face heartbreak. Let's be honest. No one is exempt from disappointments. And no one is really exempt from betrayal. All of us, at some point or other, have someone we love hurt us. And that's a deep hurt. That's a deep hurt. When a stranger does something, we may get angry for the moment, but it passes. But when one we love hurts us, it festers within us. We become angry. We become hurt. And it's important to know that the Bible itself does not say that anger is sin. In fact, in the book of Ephesians, Paul wrote to the church in 4, 26 and 27, In your anger do not sin, do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Paul is saying there are going to be times you're angry. And he doesn't condemn that anger. But he says don't let it fester. That idea of holding on, Letting it go through the night and letting it burn in the the depths of your being. Learn to let go. Learn to forgive. Because when we hold on to grudge, when we hold on to anger, we do give what Paul said, a foothold to the devil. to, To come into our lives and mess things up royally for us. Anger itself is not sinful, but what we do with that anger determines how our walk with God is affected. Particularly, as children of the living God, when our world is crumbling, if we strike out in anger, if we strike out in hatred, if we build a life saying, I want to give them what they deserve, then we have a problem. So when those times of hurt come, May we handle them with grace and compassion. Instead of trying to strike out, instead of refusing to turn the other's cheek, instead of wanting eye for an eye, tooth for tooth, what if we learn what it means to take the love of God that has been given us and shower it to someone that really doesn't deserve it? And that's kind of a trick question. Because if I were to ask for a show of hands today, how many of us here deserve the love of God? No one.
could honestly raise their hand. So play a game of imagination with me for just a moment. Suppose as Christians we find ourselves disappointed. We find the world around us, our plans crumbling before us, and and we even have someone we can blame. Suppose, instead of trying to cause them harm, instead of trying to cause them pain, what if we love them? What if we have compassion? What if we seek to try to keep them safe from harm? What do you think that would do to our witness? What do you think it would do in this world if Christians actually behave like Christians? What if we actually mirrored the one who hung on a cross and said, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they're doing. I tell you what will happen. Oh yes, there will always be people who will reject. There will always be people who won't want to hear. But there will be people who may just open up and say, maybe that Christian has something to tell me. So, how do we respond when our world is shattered? Do we strike out in anger, hatred, trying to get even? Or do we ask God to to shower His love through? Our next question. How will we respond when we learn God's plan when dreams are shattered? How will we respond when we finally understand what God is doing? When God's plan becomes clear that this brokenness in our life, that this this problem, this struggle has reason and purpose and meaning. How are we going to take that? How are we going to respond to that truth? Well, Joseph already has this plan, what he's going to do. But Joseph received a revelation that declared his beloved to be true. We're told, as he has pondered, his plan. He's figured out what he's going to do. He falls asleep and in that sleep an angel comes to him. And he has a dream explaining all that happened to Mary. He's told she hasn't been unfaithful to you. You don't have to be afraid to, to make bring her into your home. What has happened within Mary is a miracle of the Holy Spirit. Life created in her womb. And then he said the son that she is going to bear was to be called Jesus. Folks, that's the Greek form of the Hebrew name, Joshua. And it means the Lord saves. For this son will save his people from their sin. And Joseph woke up. And he didn't think, what a strange dream. He believed it. He believed that what was told him in that dream was from God. This was impossible. 
Folks, it had never happened before, and it will never happen again, no matter what Hollywood tries to tell us. It was impossible. But Joseph believed the impossible. Why? Because, first and foremost, he loved his God. And understood God was saying, I'm reaching out and I'm doing something amazing. He loved Mary. And now that God has told him through this dream to take her into his home, to make her his bride, he follows through. He obeys. By the way, in the first century, that's pretty much how the betrothal ended. God just went and got his bride and took her home and now she's his wife. He obeys. Now think about this for just a moment. We know he was trying to protect Mary from shame, but understand this, by doing what he is doing, Joseph is willing to let shame come upon him. We know that early on, there were already rumors being spread that Jesus was the illegitimate son of a Roman soldier. His family would know. His friends would know. that He took a pregnant woman to be his bride. And it didn't matter. Because Joseph loved his God. And he loved Mary. Now friends, behind all of our hearts' battles is a God moving within His purposes. When those dreams get shattered, when they don't work out the way we plan, when our prayers are not answered the way we think they should be answered, God is working. Now please understand, I am not saying that God is the cause of our battles. That God just looked down and said, "Uh, Danny, you're doing... You're doing too good this week. Here, fall down in Walmart parking lot. I'm not saying that God causes our cancers. It causes our heartbreaks. In fact, James, in his letter, James chapter 1, verse 17, said, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, who does not change like the shifting shadows. But ultimately... This giver of good gifts, the Word tells us God is working in our lives. Both in the good times and the bad times. He works within our circumstances because He loves us. He works to fulfill our, His plan in our lives. In other words, He's taking all those broken moments and He's going to redeem them. One of the most beautiful passages in the Word of God very badly quoted. The Romans 8, 28 and 29 does not say everything works out for the best. It does not even say if one bad thing happens to you, God's got to give you a good thing. Listen carefully to what it says. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who, call, who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. For those God foreknew, He also predestined to become conformed to the likeness of his son, that he may be firstborn among many brothers. Did you catch that? God is working in our lives for our good. 
And what that means throughout our lives, the good, the bad times, the dreams that come wonderfully true, the dreams that dry up like a raisin in the sun, God is using them to shape us more and more into the image of Jesus Christ. There used to be a traffic signal the Marshall, Texas, well, it's still there, uh, but it was near the campus. And those who lived on campus entitled that traffic signal Patience Corner. Because if you got caught red light at that corner, you had at least a four-minute wait just sitting there. Because lights weren't queued, they weren't And so, one group would go, then the next group would go, then the next group would go. We named it Patience Corner because tribulation work is patience. God is working. In everything that happens, our Lord is working to make us what we ought to be. And when we remember this truth, we can trust the God we serve. Folks, the reality is, I I will be the first to admit, I do not always know what God is doing in the trying times of my life. There have been far too many now, in 64 years, almost 65 years of living, problems that I didn't even ever find out the reason. And there have been some pretty difficult battles to try to make it through. But my faith assures me, while I may not know what God is doing, my faith assures me that God is doing something. God is doing something to make me more like His Son. Doing something to change my heart. To teach me compassion. To teach me empathy. To teach me love. God is moving. And His ultimate purpose is to make me into the man I was created and redeemed to be. Folks, He does the same for you. You may be facing a battle this very moment that you can't understand and you can make no sense from. God is saying, know this, my child. I love you. I'm with you. And that's the God we serve. But I come to my final question. And it's an important one. What is the ultimate act of love revealed in this challenging moment? As we look at this text, what is the most important act of love This is where we rejoice. See, God was using this young Jewish version to shower His love upon the earth. Paul, this is the closest that Paul comes to saying anything about the birth of Christ. In Galatians, in the fullness of time, God sent forth His Son, born of a virgin. Not born of a woman. Not born of a virgin, born of a woman. That's it. And Mary was chosen by God 
because the time had fully come. The time was right. Messiah was going to be born. And Mary is going to be the vessel through which the only begotten Son enters into this world, fully man, fully God, to live a perfect life and eventually to die a sacrificial death. Now this caused momentary difficulty for Mary and Joseph. I can't imagine what either of them must have felt. But God was determined to destroy the works of the devil. He was determined to bring deliverance to those whose trust in the work of the Son would be met with grace. God did this. And I need you to hear me carefully here. God sent Jesus not just to snatch us from the jaws of hell. A lot of people look at salvation. I don't want to go to hell, so I'm going to get saved. Well, if you truly are saved, you are rescued from that destiny. But folks, that's not the only thing that's going on here. Why he did it is found in the name in the prophecy of birth of Jesus. The name Emmanuel. God with us. Folks, I know the Southern Baptists, we have, we, we've gotten to the point where we're not particularly allowed in boisterous congregations anymore. But this is shouting time. God himself is with us through the one he sends to save. God is with us. When I talk to people, and if I ask, uh, where's God? Almost everybody's going to say in heaven. Yes, he's in heaven. But maybe a better question I should ask, where isn't God? For the psalmist said, away back in Psalm 139, anywhere I go to try to get away from you, you're there. God is with us. And this is amazing love. Those beautiful songs about love we sang, this is it. Not just because God wants to save us from hell, God wants to walk in relationship with you and with me. God wants us to know Him. God wants us to experience Him in our lives. The salvation promised in the prophecy of old was meant to bring us into relationship with God. There are a lot of things I believe about history. In a church history major, I love minor. I love history. I absolutely love history. I believe that George Washington was the first president of our country. I believe that the Battle of Hastings brought a tremendous victory that, that changed the known world at the time. I believe that Napoleon was one of the most powerful uh, soldiers and generals at a time, and he almost conquered the world. I believe so many different things. But you know what? I have never once in my life had a conversation with George Washington. And, and, and I, I, I'm thinking, somebody, well, thank you for assuring us that, Danny. Um, 
I don't talk with the people from the past. God is with me. And at any moment, at any time, I can cry out, God help me. And I know He hears. Because He wants me to know Him. Without this true love, we would be lost. We would be lost forever in our sin and shame and there would be no way out of that. Without this love, our existence would ultimately end in failure and despair. No matter what we achieve in life, no matter what fame, what goals we conquer, life would be failure without this love. But it's because of this love we can know all that Advent promises, hope, peace, joy, and love in its most magnificent form. The love of a creator for his creation. The love of redeemer for those he has redeemed. My friends, please hold on to this because this may be hard for you to believe at times. And that song, I've never heard it before. I'd like to thank Mike for me for finding that for you guys. With all of the different things that have told you throughout your life, you are worthless, you are, are, are a nothing. For all those who've rejected you, understand this. Understand this. Receive this good news. You are loved by God Almighty. Warts and all. The amazing thing about me is that God knows everything about me and still says, Danny, I love you. Told you my mom's one of her favorite sayings, I love you anyway. And I understood what she meant. She <laughs> Amen. And I, and I hope George means what <laughs> what my mom meant. Uh, you may mess up, but I will keep loving you. So this morning, in light of everything we've looked at. In these acts of love, God with us is the ultimate act of love which gives our lives meaning. Meaning and destiny. That's the ultimate act. The story of the birth of our Savior, His conception and His birth, we will look at next week. It's all about God saying, I love you. And I'll never stop loving you. So this morning, I ask you if you are caught in the heartbreak of a life that has disappointed you. You may be here today, and life has not turned out to what you want it to be. You have stumbled and fallen. Instead of allowing bitterness and hate to grow in you because it didn't work out, ask God to let compassion and forgiveness be found in your heart. Ask Him to teach what it means to love in spite of the pain. Are you willing to understand that God loves you in the midst of your pain? And that He has a plan to bring you to the place of growth and love even as you struggle to understand what He's doing. 
Know that he loves you and is working. Today, can you say that you are a recipient of that undying love? Have you, within your life, embraced his call to love? Have you trusted in that act of sacrifice, throwing your your lives into his hands, trusting him to bring to you the salvation you desperately needed? You've committed your life to him. Today, let me share with you, if you do not know, the good news of God's love so that you can find new life. Turn to your hearts today to the acts of love seen as examples in our text. Today, receive the love of God. And I'm going to ask that you bow your heads and close your eyes. And Charmel, if you would, come forward. I want you to have the opportunity if you need to seek the Lord in a meaningful way here, 